We started Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 last week, and I'd like to read that again, and then we'll go into Ephesians chapter 2 um, and uh, first little bit of verses there. Chapter, seven, chapter 1, verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all power, uh, all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we spent most of our time right in that passage of scripture last week. And then um, uh, we will uh, continue in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who uh, now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, so we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. Man, praise the Lord. That'll preach, huh? I think that'll preach itself. Maybe we can go home now. No. I, I, listen, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Last week we talked about those first few verses, and uh, we talked a great deal about the power that worked in Christ uh, to raise it. God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand. Uh, And right about the place we left off was where it says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named now and uh, in the ages to come. Verse 21 there. And uh, I don't want to re-preach all that, but that stuff gets me really excited uh, because uh, that is... Uh, Paul is expressing to the church there, the apostles expressing to the church there that uh, the power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in heavenly places uh, was, brought him to the place that he was seated in the seat of authority. The Bible says that he raised him up and he seated him at his own right hand. He says, come here and sit at my right hand. The Old Testament says it this way. Come sit at my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool. Well, the discovery that I want us to make today, and I alluded to this last week, uh, that the Apostle Paul, I just want us to kind of revisit this moment in Scripture. The Apostle Paul 
says again, um, well, let's just read that again, read there. He said, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come, put all things under his feet. Y'all ought to bring a highlighter to church because you ought to open up your Bible and you ought to highlight this stuff. And then you ought to go home and you ought to memorize it. Because it says, put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things of the church. Okay, I don't need to do an anatomy class this morning. But if Jesus is the head of the church, and he put all those powers and principalities and and, uh, spiritual wickedness and darkness and all those things under his feet... You got that part, right? Then he goes on and he says, he made him to be the head. He's the head of the church. Somebody ought to say, I'm the church. He made him to be the head of the church. And then verse 23 right here. If, if you'll memorize this and remind yourself of this, the Bible says, which is his body. Oh man, I think we ought to just maybe read that every week for a while. He made him to be the head of the church, which is his body, and he put all that stuff under his feet. Well, tell me, where are your feet? They're at the bottom of your body. Anybody have your feet grow out your ears? Hasn't happened yet. If you're the body of Christ, and he said he put all things under his feet, then he is indicating to you that he put all those things under your feet. I submit to you that we're putting up with way more than we should. Come on. Rachel, you just sang the right songs this morning, didn't you? I didn't tell her. He's under our feet. Maybe I'll let that sink in for a minute. All principality. You know, when I was growing up, people used to give testimony service. And we got away from that practice. And the reason we got away from that practice is that people were given testimony before they got the word in them. And so they were saying, well, it's been a difficult week. Devil's been after me all week. Bless his holy name. (laughs) Right? And, And to the point that leaders said, we got to stop these people from testifying until we get the word in them so that what comes out of them is what the Bible says about them so they'll begin to declare, yeah, maybe I've had a difficult week, but the Bible tells me that all principality and all power and all might and all dominion has been put under my feet. And I have decided that I'm not going to continue to walk in the trouble. that I don't live under the dominion of this world. History lesson. When, when God sent Adam and Eve into the earth, his instruction to them was go and subdue the earth. Take the word God used was 
okay, you're coming out of my kingdom, go take dominion. Then when Jesus restored everything through the work of the cross, he stands before those disciples and those followers. There were more than 12. Listen, those those 12, the Bible says, were the guys he picked to walk with him. But, But he was continually followed around by groups of people. And the Bible says that when the upper room, when they went to the upper room, we understand from reading and and studying that, that that room was full. And he said, go and tarry and wait until... But he said, then, go preach the gospel. Go cast out devils. And what he was saying, go take dominion. Go take dominion. And so we must discover that we are living under the dominion of the kingdom of God. We are in the earth. You've heard this before. We're in the earth as ambassadors. It's hard to say ambassadors with a dry mouth. Ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And so you, as an ambassador, have all the rights of the kingdom. You know, it just really, it just really chaps me when an ambassador drives through the city and breaks the traffic laws and doesn't obey import-export laws and ignores all the rules of the country because where his office is is not U.S. soil anymore. The embassy of his country, if he's from, uh, if he's from Timbuktu, it, it doesn't matter if he's from Africa or Asia or wherever he's from, we've given him the right to be here and live under the laws of his nation. And when God sent us as ambassadors, he gave us the right as children of God to live under the laws of his nation. That's why people come. I've, listen, I have people asking me if I'm, if I'm worried about the laws that are going to be passed that affect the liberties of preachers and what they can say in the pulpit. And I've told them before, I, I'm really sick of, uh, you know, the, a few people give because they, they, they have a tax deduction associated with it and all that, and that's all wonderful. But when that goes away, and it will, praise God for it. Because right now what the government would like to say is, we're giving you a tax exemption so we can tell you what you can and can't say. But I live under another kingdom and under another dominion, and I work for somebody else. And I'll say what he says. And the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if the Lord is on my side, whom shall I fear? Does that mean that difficult things aren't going to come and go? No, that perfectly... You Read the life of the Apostle Paul. Dear Lord. He gave the whole history. We've been beaten. We've been shipwrecked. We've been, uh, we've been tortured. We've been in hunger. We've been in want. We've been in lack. We've been abased. We've abound. So I figured out how to be content. As a nation of believers, as people in this nation, we better discover that contentment. But the only way to discover that contentment is to understand who he is. He says, 
He gave Christ to be the head of the church and we're the body. And he starts talking about putting under our feet principality and power and might and dominion. And we, we, mm. I have to get over here by Benjamin and get some of that faith. Yeah. Splashed on me because I'm about to tell you. We, we live in our life, and the enemy comes against us, and we immediately make an assessment of the strength of the attack. And we respond, I can't take it. My parents went through a, a season in their life, and I remember, I remember my mother. That, I mean, they were people of faith. But in this season of life, it was just a, a short period of, of about a year and a half or two years. Literally every appliance in my mother's house quit working. Wore out. The house caught on fire and the kitchen burned up in that season of life. We were in a car accident. We were driving a borrowed car. And then the hood on that thing flew up over the windshield while she was driving it. And they had to pay to repair those people's hood before they could give the car back, buy them a new hood. In that season of life, my brother was in an accident, and uh, one of the girls from our church that was riding with him, my brother was driving, the girl was killed. I watched my parents walk through that season of life when most people in our generation would say, God has forgotten us. Where is God in all of this? The house had been burned, and the owners had said, don't touch it. We've got to have the insurance people in to make a, an assessment on the, the damage so that we can get it repaired. Just don't, don't clean it. Don't touch it. Don't do anything. And we had nowhere to go. So we were living in a house. The smoke was down the walls about two and a half feet. Ceilings were black. No stove, no washer, no dryer. I think at that point the refrigerator and the microwave were still working. These people whose daughter had passed away come to our house, are sitting in my parents' dining room, tears running down their face, praying for my parents that God would help them and help my brother not hold themselves responsible for what had happened. I have watched people walk through the greatest difficulties with great faith in, one of the, in some of the most excruciating moments that life can dish out. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what comes against you, that you are a child of God and you are under a new dominion and there is power and authority in your words. And I'm telling you everything that could have come in in that moment to destroy my family when those lovely people who love Jesus wrapped their arms around my brother and wrapped their arms around my mom and dad and said, we were family. We all went to the same church. We were family before this happened and we'll be family after. And she's in the arms of Jesus and she loved your son and she loved you and we're all part of one another and we're going to find a way to get through this. And I saw people in that moment living in a different dominion. 
under a different authority. Breaking the power of the enemy that would have come in to destroy my family. Right in that moment, with the house burned and all the appliances broken and no money to get things fixed yet and everything all messed up and, uh, and this sudden death and, and terrible destruction. And I watched God come in and in one prayer break the power of the enemy to allow anyone to go anywhere but up from there. And I discovered that people who love Jesus just live in a different dominion. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble. I wish I could tell you that nothing uh, difficult will come your way. That's not the issue here today. The issue is that you and I learn that no matter whether we are abased or whether we abound, that there is a contentment in Jesus and in knowing that he's ordering our steps and he's making our way straight before us. And that whatever comes against us, no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. Well, that little girl that went to be with Jesus, that wasn't the attack of the enemy. The attack of the enemy was trying to break everybody's heart and get their head down so that they, would, so that they wouldn't be able to lift up their head again and so they wouldn't be able to see the, the way before them and so they wouldn't be able to fo- find how the Lord was going to lead them through this valley and so they wouldn't be able to find light at the end of the tunnel. The, the enemy was trying to get everyone to shut their eyes and put their head down and put their hands over their head and throw up their hands and quit. Didn't work didn't work. The enemy lost a battle in that moment. Because God has put everything under our feet. And then he reminded us of that in chapter 2 and verse 6. When you go uh, and you read verse 6, it says, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, can I give you some of my opinion? I'm just going to give you some opinion because I've, I'm searching some things out in Scripture over the years and, and God is showing me uh, some things I believe is from the Lord and it has helped me in walking with God and I think that it will help you. But I'm not trying to start a new doctrine. Don't misunderstand me. Okay, we understand that when Jesus lived in the earth that he was flesh and blood just like we are. But whenever he was resurrected, we read and we see that he, he passed through walls. He just showed up in the middle of the room where they were all at. He had these great liberties that allowed him to come and go differently than we do, right? It's just amazing when you lock your keys in the car and you can't get in there, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just get in there and start the car and go? Jesus could have. We, we saw that in Scripture. What I discover in that is that the dominion of the kingdom of God and the dominion of, of uh, mankind and the realm that we live in exists simultaneously in the earth at all times. God is, God is with us. Isn't that what the word says? God with us. He's with us at all times. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm just living in a different dimension than you are. So when the Bible says that we are seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you have a seat there. And if, if you could have your spiritual eyes opened for a minute, you're, you're sitting at Church of Living Water in, the, in these ugly purple chairs. And uh, what, what is really happening is that you are sitting there and you're at the right hand of Jesus. He's just to the left of you. He's sitting just to the left of you. 
If, if God would, I, I was praying during worship and I was standing here and I was recognizing as I was standing here and I was worshiping that if the Lord would open our eyes, we're in the throne room of God. We're seated together in heavenly places and, and he's just right there. Because we are seated there. At all times. At all times. That's why the apostle took the, took the time. It was not by mistake. It was in, very intentional on his part when he said, he's made you alive. Chapter 2, verse 1. He's made you alive, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you at one time walked. Oh, I'm telling you, the church in this nation has got to get that through their head. That was when you at one time walked according to the desires of your flesh. You no longer are supposed to be walking that way anymore. That's a dirt road we don't want to stay on, isn't it? When you walked... You once walked according to the course of this world. Listen, listen to this. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's making a contrast here. He didn't change the subject. He's making a contrast for you. That as a follower of Jesus, you are supposed to no longer be the sons and daughters of disobedience. Because that is the way you used to walk when you were following that other spirit. I'm totally convinced that there are a lot of people in our nation in particular who have sat in a meeting, heard the preaching, walked up and prayed the sinner's prayer, and shook the preacher's hand and left the building unchanged because they still walk according to the spirit of disobedience, according to the prince of the power of the air. They said, oh Lord Jesus, forgive my sins because I don't want to go to hell. But I don't really want you to be Lord of my life. And so they went through the motions of a religious act that they think produced security in them in terms of their eternity, but they didn't change what spirit they're following. The Bible says we know by our fruit, we know what spirit they're following. Well, I want to help you with that because that's not a discouraging thing here. He just said far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Then he said, you who were dead in trespasses trespasses and sins, who once walked according to the course of this world, according to a principality. The prince, that's a principality. You following that train of thought there? He's telling you right here, he put the prince of the power of the air under your 
feet. Oh my God. Daphne does this little thing called a happy, happy dance. Happy feet. Daphne, do happy feet. And she just goes. Well, I think you all ought to do some happy feet. I think the next time you face some challenge that comes up against you, it's really easy to walk with Jesus when everything's going good. But when a challenge comes up against you, you ought to remember this passage of Scripture and just go, uh-uh, not today. If it takes that to spark it in your mind and cause you to begin to think and to begin to declare, wait a minute, I'm, on a, I'm an ambassador. I'm a prince uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, those powers and principalities, they're under my feet. I'm under a new dominion. The day will come that the Holy Spirit will not have to work in us and say, come on, let's break some more chains. Because we'll discover the chains are broken. And we'll begin to walk in the freedom and the liberty of who we are, and we won't be messing with those chains anymore. Chains are broken. Most of the most of the difficulty that we stay in, as a, well, certainly all of it, according to Scripture, when we stay in difficulty after we've received Jesus, we're carrying around broken chains. The chains are broken. They, if, the, if the Bible says the chains are broken in Jesus Christ, the power of the enemy is broken in Jesus Christ, then it is. One of the greatest discoveries of my life, and it was, it was actually quite recent, greatest, one of the greatest discoveries of my life that changed everything for me, I was reading the scripture, and the scripture said that the Holy Spirit was sent alongside to help. I, listen, I've been in Pentecostal churches all my life. I've heard all my life that the Holy Spirit is the one called alongside to help. He was given to you. He was placed in your life to help you. Well, I was in a place of discouragement. And I was sitting in my room and I was praying, as I often do. And I said to the Lord, this does not feel much like help. You know, God's a big God. He can take that. He didn't pounce on me and say, oh, you unbeliever, son of doubt. No, this doesn't feel like help. And he said to me, he, most of the time when God responds, he just re- rehearses his word in my ears because it's his word that builds faith. He said, I said, I'll never leave you and forsake you. The Holy Spirit was called alongside you to help. And then I thought, well, now, if this doesn't feel much like help, and the Holy Spirit is here to help me, then I must be not letting him help me. Because it doesn't have anything to do with God. It must have something to do with me. See, and I think that's where we get clogged up, because I don't want to think about me. Oh, God, do this. And, God, and, and most of the time, God says, I already did. I already did. So you know what I begin to do? From that moment to this, a couple of years back, every time I felt like I needed help, I began to praise the Lord for the help that I have and the power of the Holy Spirit. I remind myself that he's called alongside to help. Then when I'm facing a difficulty and I'm not quite sure how we're going to navigate it, I just say, that's all right, I have help. I'm expecting help to arise in the moment that I need it. I expect, I expect understanding from God to come in the moment that I need understanding. 
And if I don't receive understanding in my timeline, rather than getting discouraged with God or frustrated with God for not giving it to me in the time that I needed it, I just say, Lord, you said that I have all sufficiency in all things in Christ Jesus. So if I don't have that right now, right now must not be the time that I need it. I've even prayed that over late bills. Well, then you must be going to give me the payment and the late fee. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'll send it when I get it. Till he said, now get rid of all those bills. Okay. He put all things under your feet. When he put all things under Jesus' feet. See, we, we, we received the salvation that came from the cross, but we forget about all the other things that came from that activity of Christ whenever he was ascended on high and seated at the right hand of God. Something fantastic happened. The battle was won. We say that and we allude to that, but we've got to live like that. Amen. We start thinking the battle's not won because things get difficult. Well, things will quit getting difficult when you're dead. You don't want me to pray that. He made you alive. You who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Let's read verse 4. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. Now, every time I read a verse like that, in a room this size with this many people, I immediately am reminded that there are those sitting in the room who probably feel like they've never been loved. At least one or two. And when you feel like, especially in the early days of your life, when most people who experience things between the time they're born and the time they're four, five, six years old, whenever they're adults, they spend their entire life trying to process that stuff out. Those difficulties. It forms and shapes them. So if they were treated as though they were unimportant, they spend their whole life feeling like they are unimportant until the word of the Lord comes along and God can fix that when he says, because of this great love with which he loved us, even when we were still dead, even when we were still apart from him, even when we weren't even a thought in the minds of the generations that preceded us, he was thinking about us, he was loving us, he was preparing for us. So we can just put away that unlovely stuff and we can just decide, we're loved. I'm loved. He loves me. So if you wake up one day and it feels like nobody loves you, so what? He does. Amen. No, he's not a nobody. He loves you. Yes. Amen. 
So even when we're dead in trespasses again, he made us alive together with Christ. Listen to that. Listen to that. That's not a mistake in the way that that's stated. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, before you discovered your need of Christ, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he looked all the way down through the annals of history and through, uh, through the, the future. He looked all the way from the past into the future. And the scripture says, while or when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He saw you coming. You know, but, but Anthony, you don't understand how I got here. I don't care. I know that a lot of people come into the world in a very ingracious setting, very unfortunate circumstances. You've got to throw that off and say, it doesn't matter how I got here. It doesn't matter how I started. It matters how I finish. It doesn't matter how I started. It matters how I finish. I might have started poor, but I'm not going to finish broke. I might, have, I might have started uh, with, with no potential, but I, I'm not finishing with no potential because the potential of God is deposited in me. Amen. The world might have thought they were going to throw me on the ash heap of life and say, that guy's done for, but I'm not done for because Jesus is in me. I'm a child of the King. And I'm not a citizen of... Listen, I am not a citizen of this world. I love being an American, but I'm a Christian first. And we might have to one day decide we're kind of there. I don't want to get into what I'm preaching when I'm in Ukraine, but listen, I want you to make some correlation here. Cause us to sit together, raise us up. We're in verse 6. Of chapter 2, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 4, he said, because of his great love with which he has loved us. Then in verse 7, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Okay, he didn't just love us then. He's setting things up so he could love on us. He didn't just love you. He set it up so that in your generation, he could love on you. That he could show you. Yeah, I many understand that when this was being written nearly 2,000 years ago, or maybe just, just over, that when this was being written, and he starts talking about the ages to come, look out, my name's in there. I happen to be in the ages to come from where this was spoken. So he's, he's saying... He loved us, guys, and those of you that are far off. He wants to show you the same thing. And then we're going to jump back because God, listen to the prophetic, the prophetic strand in here as he's preaching. He may not have even realized how prophetic he was being. He said uh, in verse 21, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also... In that which is to come. 
That's just like in Acts when Peter was preaching about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And, and, and on your uh, servants and on your handmaidens and all your people that, that are under your, uh, the umbrella of your protection, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. And this promise is to you and, and, and your children and their children and their children and to all those who are far off. And then somebody wants to go and say, that's gone. Uh-uh. I happen to be one of the far off. You happen to be one of the far off. So the promise is for you. So anything that was spoken to those folks in that early church, and in that, the, the, as the church was being structured in the earth, anything God said to them, he said to me, it's mine. Oh, my Lord, let us stop living below our potential in Christ. We had a funeral here this week for a young man that was shot um, in Eureka, California. A 22-year-old man was shot in an altercation with the police. And his family came in here. And I happened to be here serving them. Uh, I, I wasn't preaching the funeral, but I agreed to come. And I sat back there and I watched probably the most overwhelming, saddest environment that I've ever seen in my life. Because I was watching as they came in the door and as they signed the book and the funeral directors were standing there from the funeral home and, and they were assisting them in coming in the door and they're signing the book and I'm looking for someone with the light of Christ in their eyes. And I told my wife, it's the first time I've ever been in a room with over 100 people and I don't know that I saw anyone that I would say that. Most of the time I can go, that person knows Jesus. I didn't see any of that. And they walked through the door and I felt the hopelessness. You see the Bible says that... Uh, that if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. I saw misery walk through the door. I was like, Lord, thank you for bringing them here. Because there's an environment here, even when we're not gathered here, that we have set in our prayer and intercession our time, that w- would some of that just kind of pour into them? I didn't have an opportunity to speak to a single one of them. I was just here. I prayed the whole time. God, touch these people. Show yourself to them. And then the preacher got up and, uh, from, from another place that uh, was provided them by the funeral home. And the words he spoke were not extremely uplifting. I didn't have a conversation with him after, but I wanted to whip up on him. <laughs> you had an opportunity here. But he was trying to comfort, and he did the best he could, I guess, under the circumstances with the understanding that he has. He, he did the best that he could. But I heard them, they had family members share that the, the father of this young man and the mother of this young man spoke. And, and, and the mother said right out her mouth, I was really worried when this happened because we're not religious. And I asked that preacher, what's going to happen to my son? Then I was glad he was doing the funeral, not me. But... <laughs> But nevertheless, I saw the emptiness that this world has in it. 
I saw the sadness and the hopelessness that believers don't live in or walk in and that we, quite frankly, no longer identify with. I, I don't even ha- I, I've walked with God all my life. I don't understand that sense of hopelessness. I've never felt that before. So I don't even identify with it as a believer. But my heart was broken. And, I, and as I was contemplating sharing with you who you are, and what, how God sees you and what he has deposited in you and the authority that he has given you that you are learning to discover. That when, Listen, when God has the confidence in our intercessors to say to me, tell our intercessors to, to light it up against yeah. the influx of Ebola in the nation. I've discovered that there's just some things that God won't do without our participation. I don't know why he chose us, but he chose us. And I hear people say all the time, and I'm over time here, but give me just a a minute more. I hear people say things all the time like, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. God can do anything he wants to do. Well, you want me to tell you the honest truth? No, he cannot. Because he gave you a will. He limited limited his ability to move with authority in the earth when he told you to go and take dominion. I'll just leave you with a cliffhanger here. God limited the extent of his authority in the earth to the extent that you will take authority in the earth. He won't exceed your authority. So you can say God's going to do what God wants to do. And I'm going to tell you, God will not do what God wants to do unless you participate with God in doing what he wants to do. Jesus gave us that key when he said, I only do what my daddy's doing. I only say what my daddy's saying. I only go where my daddy's going. And that's how we're supposed to live. You go where he's going, you do what he's doing, and you quit saying what you're thinking and start saying what he's saying. How come the minute we get bad news, we want to start planning a funeral? We have to start planning a celebration. And I know I have have yet to walk through some of that. Listen. I'm not minimizing the experience that you're walking in today. I'm just challenging you to get his view of it and say what he is saying. You can walk through some difficult times if you're saying what he's saying. He put principalities, powers, might, and dominion under your feet so that you could speak over that situation what he is saying. And deliverance will come. Freedom comes. Healing comes.